Welcome to Spill the Tea, a bi-weekly download of life, liberty, and the latest in culture and news with your hosts, Dr. Robert McClure and Sal Nuzzo. Welcome to another episode of Spill the Tea. I am Sal Nuzzo, Vice President of Policy with the James Madison Institute. With me is our CEO, Dr. Bob McClure. Uh, Tons to run through for this episode. Uh, let's start off with uh, kind of the, the elephant in the room, our special session. Uh, the legislators are here in Tallahassee tackling a series of bills related to uh, the implementation of vaccine mandates in the private sector. What's your take? Well, I think it's going to be interesting at the, uh, as, as we are doing this recording. Uh, they haven't uh, finalized where they're going to go, but I think the governor's been very clear on his position. Yep. Uh, and he's got a legislative session that is a little bit, uh, I'm, I'm not a legislative session, a group of legislators who are maybe not quite as rock solid in his position. So it's going to be kind of a give and take and a negotiation there. Yeah, and it seems like from where he came out in his press conference, not that it's backed off, but they've kind of been a little bit more nuanced, especially in that big SB and HB1 bill, which kind of defines the five exemptions. So I would say it's not a ban on vaccine mandates by private sector employers, but it's more like a framework that allows for just about any exemption possible and kind of uh, trying to thread the needle and kind of balance these competing views of liberty and and kind of uh, whether or not a business should be able to run its operation in the manner it sees best fit versus an individual's right to have private medical information kept private. That's right. And so I think, you know, they really are, as you said, they're trying to thread the needle. They're trying to sort that out. So I think what you're going to end up is uh, some language that says no vaccine mandate, or, or I'm sorry, that... that um, you know, businesses can regulate their own businesses, but there will be enough exemptions there to drive a truck through, and then we'll all go home for Thanksgiving. Yep, and uh, speaking of Thanksgiving, right on the horizon, uh, question for you. Are you a Christmas decor before Thanksgiving, Christmas music before Thanksgiving, or are you a we have to have it after Thanksgiving or it's a, it's a violation and a sin? You know, I'm a big Christmas music guy. I mean, the minute I can get into the Christmas music, I, I turn on Alexa and we play Christmas music in our house. But having said that, I'm not a Christmas guy before Thanksgiving. I'm a Christmas guy the Friday after Thank Thanksgiving. You. We get our Thank tree, you. we decorate our house, we start the music, and it runs for the next five weeks. My se- Here's a larger question, all right? Different question. Okay. Are you, once Christmas is over on the 25th, are you done on the 25th? Or you carry it to January January first. Yeah, too. you know, and Me and I'm too. I'm with you on the Christmas season begins on the day, the Friday. After I love it. Thanksgiving. I love the Christmas season. Now I uh, there there is a an ongoing Twitter war in the Florida political process because you've got a number of folks who are very vocal. I'm talking at you, Andrea Gaining, who are like Christmas all year long. They will do whatever they want. They will put their tree up. In like early November, as soon as Halloween is over, and that's I'm I'm I, I, I appreciate yeah. the sentiment. And no, I really I don't. like it. I no. love Christmas, but 
you can't start Christmas till Thanksgiving's over. I, it I has to you. start on Friday. And it runs through January 1st. It does not end on December 26th. Thank you. Now, uh, with respect to Christmas music, are you a classic uh, Christmas guy or are you a... Total my, classic. Yeah, give me Frank Sinatra. Give me Dean Martin. Give me uh, uh, Nat King Cole. Don't give me Bruce Springsteen. Don't give me... Uh, you know, Mariah uh, Carey. Matt Benatar, no. Nope. no, Mariah Carey, no. So no. so my no. Spotify list that I've culled over the last several years is all of those, but it begins and ends with the greatest Christmas caroler of all time, Johnny Mathis. Johnny so, Mathis? Yes. Love Johnny Mathis? Tony Bennett? Yes. Give me all of that. All yes. right. Yes. Let's move on into uh, the, the political realm. In case you haven't taken a break uh, from listening to uh, Taylor Swift's New album, a uh, few things that we've got on the horizon nationally. Heard uh, from Beto O'Rourke that he is indeed going to be running for governor. Uh, I liken this to, I, I do believe that Texas has a requirement on unemployment benefits that you have to show that you're looking for work. So that is Beto's uh, reason for for gaining unemployment. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, some people just have nothing else to do. So Robert Francis O'Rourke... Uh, is actually going to run for governor. His name is not Beto. I know. That is just a, a cultural appropriation that if you were a conservative, you'd get hammered for. But he doesn't get hammered for it because he's not. And so uh, he's going to run for governor because he has nothing else to do. And, and there's an interesting uh, uh, kind of clip of him from one of the debates uh, when he ran for president briefly that where he's just kind of railing on the Second Amendment and he's he says, heck yeah, we're going to take away your AR-15s. Heck yeah, we're coming for your semi-automatic rifles. That clip is going to run nonstop until uh, the election, yeah. and I think it's going to be uh, a num- with a number of other things as right. I'm doing. Right. On, in other news, Liz Cheney was ousted from the, let's make uh, make this clear, from the Wyoming, Wyoming. Republican yep. Party, not from the National Republican Party. The, it's an open question now yeah. whether she runs as a Republican or she runs as an independent. It, I'm sure it depends on Wyoming you know, uh, law, what, what she can, yeah, I've got, I've got no clue what it even means for her within the caucus in, in Congress or what it means for the upcoming election. I'm sure she's going to kind of discern the political map uh, of her district, uh, and kind of go from there. I think it's really going to be interesting to see. I think you're going to see in both parties, a lot of primarying of current elected officials, which will lead us to a larger discussion about the longest serving senator in history of, of America. But I think she's going to be primaried. Lisa Murkowski, the senator from Alaska, is already being primaried. The 12 Republicans who voted for the infrastructure bill are all going to be primaried. You're seeing Bernie Bros and AOC folks primarying uh, more moderate Democrats. The, both parties are going to see a lot of this going forward in 2022. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. The frustration, this is the, the key point to me, the frustration on the part of the people is palpable. It's well, and, real. And I think... It, 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 You've got all of that, and then you've got the the Libertarian parties just kind of uh, calling out to both sides, going, "Hey, come check us out!" Right. You know, right. I think it's it's going to be a a unique electoral cycle, especially in 
kind of the 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 atmosphere of redistricting across the country as a result of kind of reapportionment, right? Which leads us to the larger discussion about the current longest serving senator in yep. Congress, Patrick Leahy, who's been there forty six years. Think about that forty six years. Think about cars and gas and technology and the way we worked and IBM and GE and all these things that were ha- that were around 46 years ago that aren't this is a testament to the need for term limits term limits and an acknowledgement that across the board it is not a partisan issue whether you're looking at the the president of the United States, the Senate majority leader, the speaker of the house, the Senate minority leader, Patrick Leahy, Bernie Sanders, you have average ages of the leadership in Congress in their 70s and their 80s approaching 90 in some cases and I think this speaks to the need for term limits, the need to finally address the fact that politicians come into Washington and make it a career that was never meant as it was never meant in the founding documents it was meant to be something where you go you serve the public you then uh, kind of go back to your to your home state and not only that we're basically kind of boxing out an entire generation of individuals and it just so happens to be my generation generation x Uh, from coming into leadership positions. I think Florida's unique because Governor DeSantis is a Gen X governor, but you have the the United States Congress with very, very few Gen X politicians. And between uh, redistricting and the way that the laws that Congress has passed over the years that kind of have their thumb on the scale in terms of campaign finance and the use of the mail house, it's very difficult to unseat a sitting congressional member. And so, you know, as we see what happened, I I had a speaker of the house of the state of Florida tell me one time, he said, you know, Bob, my first two years uh, in the house, I'd read every bill. I'd prepare for my committees. I'd wake up every day. I'm totally detail oriented. I'd roll into those committees and I'd fire question after question after question. After about the third year, I'd turn to staff and say, what does it say? And then by the fifth, sixth, eighth year, you're like, what do you want me to do? And so think of that on a, on a monumental scale in Congress. And that's why we need term limits. When you're dealing with trillions of right. dollars in the entire United States economy. All right, let's shift gears. Let's talk a little bit of cultural uh, issues uh, at, at the current time that we are recording right now. Uh, the jury is deliberating in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial in Wisconsin. Um I think there are two two issues here that I'd like to discuss. I think one is if you objectively look at the evidence in the state law at play, I think most rational and objective people would con- conclude he is not guilty of the crimes that they right. have charged That's him right. with. But I think there's a broader discussion here. What may not be illegal may be incredibly unwise. And and that's something where, I mean, as, a, as the father of two daughters who are both, uh, you know, teenagers, uh, th- that kind of an environment would never be in the kind of my sphere of, yeah, that's a good idea to go. No, I think that's true. And I don't I don't know that he's a horrible person, but I think grabbing a gun and running out into the streets in the middle of a, you know, a riot at 17 uh, at 17 years, years yeah. old, right? I think is presents a, if not a a legal issue, certainly a moral problem. And that's, you know, the question is, will he be convicted 
based on that or not, we don't know. But I do think that is a larger discussion for this 17-year-old to be carrying that gun in that circumstance. And then the broader societal question, right. you've got, uh, we heard reports just the other day about jurors who are incredibly uh, uh, intimidated, kind of intimidated yes. scared for what's going to happen mm -hmm. if their identities get released to the media. They're fearing for their lives, their families. We've kind of come to these these inflection points, just ratcheting on uh, whether it's the, the riots in Portland, the riots in Minneapolis and, and whatnot. I, I just, I wonder where we, how rather, we get to a place where this is not an every day or every year occurrence. Yeah, I think the, the concern is what is that the, the left has begun using intimidation tactics in ways that if... Um, the, the decisions aren't what they want. They find other ways to do that. So you have, at, at, at least if Newsport reports are to be believed, you have two jurors who are scared to death that if they vote uh, not to convict, their names are going to be released, they're going to lose their jobs, their families mm -hmm. are going to be in jeopardy, their homes are going to be in jeopardy. The same thing happens on a on a on another level with um, Supreme Court justices. Look yeah. at what they did with uh, Amy. Tried to do with Amy Coney Barrett and um, Brett Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh. It's it is this. We won't get our way, so we're going to intimidate you. And even now, the left tries to intimidate the U.S. Supreme Court in a lot of the decisions that they uh, that that will be forthcoming. And that is a problem in this country. All right, let's shift to. Probably our favorite topic to talk on this podcast, college sports in particular. Uh, it was a very active week in the college football arena. FSU gets a hard-fought win. Yeah. win against Miami yep. in the last minutes of the game. Um, I think regardless of where the three teams in Florida, three major teams kind of sit in rankings becoming the quote-unquote state champ if you're able to meet, beat <laughs> right. Miami, if you're able to beat Florida or whichever right. way it goes, is a big feather in the cap for Co Coach Norvell. Uh, I think he is tamping down a lot of the early season criticism. He's come on a bit stronger in the in the later uh, kind of part of the season. And, it, I mean, we're actually almost bowl eligible if we come away uh, Saturday with a win. Well, you got to give Coach Norvell a lot of credit after that Jacksonville State game, holding yeah. the team together. Um, uh, the, the kids have continued to fight and win, and there's a real chance if FSU becomes bowl eligible, it'd be – I mean, for this year and what he's had to deal with, it'd be a heck of an accomplishment. I will say this, um, you know, it's the future of Miami football with the athletic director now resigning. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens down there. Yep. Uh, Coach Diaz is definitely on the hot seat, especially yep. after that loss. Here's something I never thought I would say in my, uh, in my lifetime. Could Alabama actually not make the college football playoff if they lose to Georgia? I think the answer is yes, they could not make the college football playoff. But the problem is everybody keeps dropping like flies behind them. So you've yep. Oklahoma lose and you've got it all set up. And, you know, the, the uh, CFP committee seems... 
you know, like they just don't want Cincinnati in the Final Four. And, and then you've got both Michigan schools kind right. of in the in the hunt. Right. This speaks to uh, uh, two weeks ago when uh, when Logan was in in this chair. Uh, we were talking about uh, the fact that you've got four teams. Does it, you know, potentially need to go to six so that you've got a little bit more breadth under uh, the Power Five? And uh, I, as a as a purist, I admitted I was wrong in my opposition to the four team playoff. But I I just love the way that every Saturday counts. So mm-hmm. I wonder if the six team playoff gets us away yeah, from that. One more sports thing: yep. the, the University of Florida is actually officially a basketball school. They finally beat FSU uh. once. In uh, seven years, it's been a long drought since 2013. Credit to Leonard Hamilton. He's built an incredible program there. But uh, UF is, I guess, officially back to being a basketball school, no longer a football school. Now, I will say this, and I I will push back gently because I absolutely love Coach Ham. But until Coach Ham can get us past the Sweet 16 and into a Final Four, he will not be the legendary coach that I think he he might otherwise be. Moving we, uh, on to inflation. Let's let's move on. Let's let's talk the infrastructure bill because I oh, think yeah, yeah, this yeah. is yeah. this is really tied to inflation. Yeah. So uh, President Biden signed uh, just the other day a 1.2 trillion dollar. I can't believe we're now saying that right. regularly. Trillion dollar infrastructure bill uh, that passed with uh, 12 or 13 uh, Republican votes, which uh, I saw uh, some statistics. I can't verify them, but it turns out that like maybe only. Half of yes. the bill is true infrastructure. Yep. The other half is just pork laden. Yep, you know, Green New Deal and 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 gifts to members of Congress. So, does this exacerbate the incredible challenges that we're facing right now on the inflationary? Yes, front? it absolutely does. Because as you, you know, you know, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal just yesterday about where's Milton Friedman gone, and and it is monetary policy. And so, what you're seeing is that the um, this president and this current uh, congressional majority is completely um, uninterested or ignorant in monetary policy. You're going to continue to see inflation rise as more of this uh, this cash kind of slogs into uh, into the economy, and I would and I would kind of suggest that this is actually something that really began under. I hate to say a Republican administration, George W. Bush, back in the financial crisis when they began the Fed policy of printing money for whatever needs they had. We have gotten to the point now where uh, both parties have abandoned any kind of framework of sanity on fiscal and monetary There's policy. no doubt. It goes back to uh, Bush. It goes through Obama. It goes through Trump. Yep. I mean, there is. No, it doesn't matter who is running Washington, D.C. Both parties are happy to spend as much money as possible. And, and what we're seeing is this experiment in modern monetary theory. Right. The idea that how much money is in the economy because it's the United States dollar doesn't matter at all. The debt doesn't matter. And what frightens me is I feel like it doesn't matter until it does. Right. And when it does, it's going to be a really tough reckoning. Yeah. To paraphrase Ernest Hemingway, how do you go bankrupt slowly and then all at once? Yeah. And that's the concern. Uh, This is our last podcast before Thanksgiving. Uh, As we talk about infrastructure, as we talk about inflation, there's some... uh, 
um, searing statistics yep. about this coming Thanksgiving. Sal, why don't you share with our listeners, uh, speaking of infrastructure bill and inflation. Yeah, uh, one of the uh, the things of note uh, related to Thanksgiving, uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but in 2020, the average price of a 16-pound turkey was $28.80. That same turkey, one year later, is going to cost you $55.20. Double. Double, almost double. double, yeah. In one year. Yeah, yep. in one year. Yep. And that kind of, when you talk about inflation, I think it's always helpful to bring it down to what exactly right. does it reflect right. in specific uh, costs. So why don't you give us a, a couple of others? Other food items that have gone up that will affect you during the holiday season. Ground beef has gone up almost 11%. Uh, bacon, everybody loves oh. bacon, is up 20%. Think about that. Eggs are up almost 13%, and things like apples, of all things, are up 8%. And none of this takes into account the empty shelves on the grocery stores because of supply chain mismanagement. And we get uh, and we get from uh, the White House press secretary's office uh, two competing uh, uh, explanations of this. One is the inflation either doesn't exist because the economy is on a tear, or the inflation is good because it reflects higher wages, which I don't think is actually uh, an economic argument to make here. No, it's not. It's not. So we uh, hate to be the bearer of bad news. Your Thanksgiving dinner is going to be much more expensive and the holidays will be as well. But uh, just a quick reminder, this is our last one before the holiday or before Thanksgiving. We'll be back uh, with another Um, episode of Spill the Tea following uh, Thanksgiving. And we will do our best to make it a little bit more festive in the month of December. Thank you so much for uh, joining us and listening. We appreciate it immensely. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. Maybe we'll have some Christmas music in the background after, uh, after Thanksgiving. I love it. Thank you for listening to Spill the Tea. For more content from the James Madison Institute, follow us on social media or check out our website at jamesmadison.org.